Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to Drew Todd, the chef to mission for Team Manitoba at the upcoming Canada Summer Games. And we listen to Kelly Moore's bomber player profile of Greg Ellingson. Stay tuned to all that on the podcast. Sport Manitoba today. Revealing the team for this Canada Summer Games coming up in Niagara in Ontario. 370 athletes in total will be heading to Ontario for August 6th to 21st. And the man in charge of all of it, the chef de mission, Drew Todd, joins us now on the CJOB Sports Show. Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, Christian. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing well. How exciting was today for you? Oh, it was absolutely incredible. You know, it was kind of the first time we'd gotten a lot of the athletes in the same room together, brought a lot of the energy out. And, you know, it's, it's been a real long time coming for an event like this. So it really is starting to feel real. And uh, I think we're all kind of getting excited to see what happens in, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks now. So how does one become a chef to mission for the summer games? <laughs> well, definitely I convinced uh, the guy with the power to hire me in the right position there. But, um, you know, my background is in uh, high-performance sport. I, I spent about just short of 10 years in the high-performance system out in B.C. before I came out here to uh, Manitoba. But... Basically, you know, you're kind of looking for people in the system who have the experience, who've been to a couple of games in different roles before, um, maybe have, you know, the, the ability to influence decisions and work with, work with sports and teams from a wide variety of different uh, perspectives and lenses. So, you know, I'm just here to kind of provide my general leadership and, and my support to the team, make sure everybody's in a position to succeed and has what they need to be successful. So, how does the process go into picking a flag bear? Erica Vermet from Morris, Manitoba, beach volleyball will be the uh, flag bear. We're going to have her on the show tomorrow night. But what goes into the process of, of picking her? Yeah, and then honestly, we couldn't be more excited. We're, we're really happy with our choice with Erica. She's going to be fantastic for us. Um, but we work closely with all our sport partners. So any of the sports that are going to be in week one, obviously, because that's where the opening ceremonies are. We, we contact them, we discuss with our coaches if they have anybody that they want to nominate as, as a representative to lead the team. And then we get a certain amount of applications we discuss internally with sort of the leadership team at Team Manitoba. And I think for us, it was a, it was a pretty easy decision. It's Erica's resume really stood out. Um, she's got experience representing Canada at the Youth Olympics. She's currently playing youth sport for the UBC Thunderbirds out west, so... Um, we're very happy with our selection there, and we know that she's going to be great. Now, a lot of people in our market are going to be familiar with the Summer Games because it was here in 2017. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. It was a blast. I went to a number of events. It was it was, it was was really a, a highlight of my time in Winnipeg, and I've been here for over seven years now. Uh, but in terms of the, the age breakdown of who can participate in this event, does it vary per sport? Yeah, it definitely does. I think, you know, the ultimate goal of the Canada Games is to have a highly competitive event, but maybe for athletes that are kind of that next step down from the national team. So, you know, not to interfere with sort of their, their national team training or, or competing internationally uh, during the summer, that kind of thing, right? We've got the Commonwealth Games going on right now, so you kind of don't want athletes that are in both of those age brackets. Um, you know, one positive thing for these games in particular is they were postponed a year. And we were concerned that some of the athletes at the very top end of the age tier would uh, 
kind of age out of these games and wouldn't be allowed. But the Canada Games Council has extended those age brackets for this one time only. So it'll be even higher level competition than possibly even in Winnipeg because we're getting that extra you know, year of development with them. Um, but, you know, generally different sports, you kind of, you know, rowing, you probably hit your peak, maybe in your mid-20s, late 20s. Gymnastics is the kind of sport where you kind of peak in, you know, almost as a teenager, right? So every sport's a little bit different with their own kind of structure and their own rules. But ultimately, you're kind of looking at athletes between the ages eh, about 12 to 22 kind of thing. Yeah, the youngest on Team Manitoba is Daisy Larson from Winnipeg. He's 11, Mm -hmm. participating in Mm -hmm. kayak. And then there's a a 31-year-old as well participating in athletics. So there is a a gamut. But generally, you're right. It it is younger uh, people. Can you speak to the the amount of work that's gone into planning this from Manitoba's perspective? Because it's been, as you mentioned, years in the making. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of some of our sport partners that we work with and, and the coaches that put the, you know, the, the extra hours in the time and, you know, having to start and suddenly at the last second, uh, the games were postponed again. And, you know, it's it's been a real tough time for them to try to, you know, find opportunities to work with the athletes. So it's it's been a grind, there's no question, but the, you know, the determination that they've had to kind of stick it through has been incredible to see. There's a lot of work that goes in working with the host societies and the organizing committee, just making sure all the details are good, making sure that we understand, you know, uh, public health regulations are different in every province, right? So a lot of meetings, a lot of discussion, a lot of passing on information to our athletes and our coaches to make sure that they have everything that they need to be successful. How many coaches are part of this process too for Sport Manitoba? I believe we have 59 uh, actual coaches, but then we have about, I want to say, 32 probably managers, associated technical support and things like that. So kind of our overall team coaching staff consists, I think, of 91 uh, total people coming. And how important are, are they in this whole process? Oh, they are the gatekeepers, the athletes, basically, you know. Uh, us in the mission staff, we honestly have the easy job when it gets down to games because a lot of what we do is just go in the stands and act as cheerleaders. The coaches are there to devise strategy, to manage their team, ensure the athletes have the right and appropriate recovery, and they're ready to perform on the field of play. So they are the, uh, they're the, they're the true heroes, I think, in all of this. So we're really thankful to have such a fantastic coaching staff joining us in Niagara. So the sports are broken into two weeks, right? Yeah, that's correct. So who's going first? What are all the team the sports that are going first? Yeah. Ooh, putting me on the spot there. Uh, okay, tough one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, beach volleyball, certainly, because that's what Erica's in. But um, I think, you know, some of the bigger sports in week one, we've got uh, swimming is a, is a big week one sport, whereas athletics is kind of our big week two sport. And depending on the gender as well, right, I think we have soccer, males and females each come in a different week. Um, same with box lacrosse. I think females are week one, males are week two. Uh, basketball, I believe, is a week one sport, both genders. So, um, yeah, I would uh, I would definitely uh, recommend somebody check out the Niagara 2022 games on that website for, for further yeah. details there. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's about a, a half and half breakdown, though, for the total participants. So, have you been to Niagara Falls before? 
twice we went there as uh, just kind of with the, myself and my two assistant chefs to, to check out the venue and kind of walk through all the uh, the site, make sure it's kind of up to snuff for us and we're fully prepared going in. So, uh, yeah, I think the last time was early May. We, we got to kind of walk around and tour things. Are you going to get to go to the falls? Or are, P- are the athletes going to be able to do some tourism stuff? Because I know Niagara Falls is full of tourism stuff. Yeah, no kidding, eh? And kind of this uh, this for sort of first summer coming out of the pandemic, I think it'll be quite the hot spot for, for non-games participants as well. Uh, I'll tell you this, the week two participants are in for quite the show because closing ceremonies is going to be right outside the falls in a giant park, and they're going to have an absolutely beautiful view. Great for pictures, great for shows and concerts that are going to be going on there. So week two athletes are definitely going to have a, a great opportunity to see the, see the um, falls there. How far away from the falls is the, are most of the facilities? You know, generally they try to spread it across a lot of, a lot of the areas of the Niagara region. So uh, I think 13 or no, 12 different municipalities, sorry, are each going to be hosting one um, event at least. So, But everything within kind of that southern Ontario area is, is relatively close to one another. I'd say the furthest from the falls would probably look at about a half hour. Um, but, you know, from where the athletes' village is, they could probably get there for about 15 to 20 minutes, I would say. That's cool. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. It's July 26th now. The games begin August 6th. What has to be accomplished between now and then? <laughs> well, we got to get on the planes and make sure that they take off on time, hopefully. So that's, um, that's the biggest priority at this point. But I think our team is ready to go. We are all set up. Everybody knows where they need to be. And they're just kind of getting in some last-minute practices and training and uh, the occasional competition, but I'm fully confident that we have everything we need and we're going to be very successful on the ground there. Well, Drew, appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thanks for this. Best of luck with everything, and we'll stay in touch as the games go by. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Every Tuesday at this time, you'll get to hear the Bomber player profile from the most recent Blue Bomber game. Kelly Moore puts good effort into these. They're worth airing more than once, I think, and they're a Big part of the Blue Bomber pregame show. In case you missed it or you want to hear it again, that's that's where I come in. I run it for you on my show. And the man of the hour for Week Seven's game in Edmonton actually happened to be a player who did not play in that game, and that would be Greg Ellingson. One of the major items on the to-do list for Blue Bombers GM Kyle Walters going into this season was to find a way to replace the CFL's leading receiver in 2021, Kenny Lawler who was signed as a free agent by Edmonton. One-third of the way through the 2022 schedule, it would appear as though Walters found the perfect fit. Ellingson in the corner, he's got it! Oh, what a catch! Greg Ellingson with the first down. Oh, he's been excellent for a long time. I mean, he's been very productive. It looks like he's in the right place at the right time, makes big catches, makes big plays. He's been doing that for a number of years. So when he becomes available, I mean, you... uh, See if he wants to show up here or not, right? The 2022 offseason wasn't the first time the Bombers kicked the tires on the 33-year-old Tampa Bay native. And as we'll hear in just a bit, catching passes from Zach Kolaris and blocking for his fellow receivers isn't the only asset Greg Ellingson provides for the two-time defending Grey Cup champs. And as it turns out, football wasn't the first sport Greg excelled at. It was just ongoing jokes still to this day that I went to play a game and I was pretty good at, you know, hitting the ball from the pitcher and 
they kept hitting me with the ball so that I couldn't actually get uh, try to get on base by actually hitting it. So they would always hit me with the ball, and I got tired of it, and I quit playing baseball because I was like, every time I go hit the ball, they just they hit me with it. I'm tired of this. And then my mom always jokes now that I went from getting hit with baseballs to getting hit by human beings. So, you know, grew up playing uh, with the local kids in the street, playing uh football that way and you know the touchdowns the mailbox and the other touchdowns the trash cans down there and uh you know try to get as many kids in the neighborhood as you kid to go, kid go out there and i remember there's also another like alleyway on the way to school that uh was like a big dirt pile in the middle like dirt and sand and we would kind of just that'd be the 50 yard line and that's where we'd always like start with the football and we'd be just dirty nasty and muddy on the way back home and my dad would always make me you know rinse off with the hose before i came inside and that is robert Call me Brian Ellingson, who works in the flooring installation business, while there's also mom Lisa, older brother Anthony, and younger sister Alicia. And we also have to mention Odin, Greg's four-year-old Great Dane Mastiff, who photobombed Ellingson's media Zoom call after signing with Winnipeg back in February. From mailboxes on the street that were goal lines and midfield dirt piles in the alleys, Greg Ellingson eventually graduated to organize community football. And that was in middle school when I started doing that. Um, and that kind of translated to high school playing football. And then after that, uh, I think it was just our, my high school receiver uh, coach said, if you're playing uh, receiver for this football team, then you have to run track. I just really like playing soccer too. Um, a lot of my friends played on the soccer team. So whenever the football season ended, I would uh, kind of finish the back half of the you know soccer season as much as I could. So following his high school career with the Robinson Fighting Knights, whose alumni also includes Hulk Hogan and Hamilton Tiger Cats DB and return specialist Frankie Williams, the next stop for Ellingson on his football journey led him to Florida International University. To be completely honest, it was the only school that offered me. I had a highlight tape ready on VHS back in the day, is before they came out with all the CDs and stuff. But uh, Coach Burns and Coach DePew from uh, Robinson helped me put together so that I could go to a D2 uh, clinic, you know, where they have a bunch of schools there, and you kind of pass your highlight tape out and you know, hopefully get the D2 school. And two days before that, uh, Bernard Clark from FIU came, and he. Uh, asked me if I want to go on a visit to FIU, and I was like, yeah, heck yeah, sounds great. Went down there for a weekend, came back home, and he called me again, and he was like, hey, uh, you want to come to FIU? And I didn't realize that he was offering me a scholarship, and I was just like, yeah, I was just there, but I'll come back again. He's like, no, we're, we're giving you a scholarship. I was like, oh, wow, let's go. I didn't think that was going to happen. Just like a majority of the American players who eventually find their way to the CFL, Greg Ellingson was overlooked by the National Football League in his draft year, but before coming north, he did land a couple of free agent tryouts close, make that very close to home. It was Jacksonville. They brought me in for a visit. I guess they think bring like 15 guys in before the draft that they can bring in uh, to interview and to bring in. So I, they brought me in and then, you know, they told me they liked me a lot. Called me in the seventh, you know, sixth round or whatever. They're like, we're, we might pick you next round. I was like, oh man, I might get drafted. This is sick. And then uh, it didn't end up happening, which, you know, you know, it is what it is, but you don't really uh, look down on that. You kind of just use that as motivation to, to kind of go in there and impress and and then I actually played arena football in New Orleans. And then uh, Tampa Bay brought me in for a tryout, and I signed with them. So it was really cool to go back home and, you know, play in front of the, you know, my family and friends back home that, you know, I got to play for the Bucks, go through OTA's rookie camp. And at the end of that one, too, you know, got cut in that camp. And then I ended up playing for the Tampa Bay Storm, which is the arena team there, too. So actually, Danny McManus tried me out in uh, some high school in St. Petersburg because uh, my agent actually 
uh, wouldn't answer me for a year after I got cut from Jacksonville. <laughs> he uh, just stopped answering me, and I reached out to another agent, and he was like, yeah, you have to uh, kind of stay with this contractor. You have to pay him back all this money that he paid for the combine training. I was like, well, I'm broke, so... I guess I'm gonna stick with them for another year, and then I became my own, my own agent and uh, went on every CFO website and uh, looked whatever emails and phone numbers were on the websites that I could find, and, and made sure I sent my information out, my highlight tape, my uh, pro day results. Greg spent two years with the Tie Cats before making his way to Ottawa, where in the 2015 Eastern Final he teamed up with Henry Burris on what is now known simply as Second and Twenty Five in the nation's capital. Three man rush, Burris now, down the sideline. Oh, it's caught, and a catch, down the sideline goes Ellingson. He's going to score, touchdown, unbelievable, unbelievable. Ended up doing that, you know, especially against the same team that I was with, right? <laughs> it was definitely quite special, and uh, that whole city was, you know, they uh, they really had my back, and you know they were uh, they were proud, and and, and so was I uh, of that moment. 2015 was the start of five consecutive 1,000-yard receiving seasons for Ellingson, a streak that came to an end during what turned out to be a second and final year in Edmonton in 2021, but appears to be well on the way to being resumed here in Winnipeg. Earlier, we mentioned that bonus as well that Greg brings to the Blue Bombers. I'm uh, the emergency kicker. Yeah. yeah, so if someone goes down in the game, I came out here a couple weeks ago and Leg was giving me some extra coaching tips. But, yeah, I could hit I could hit a 40-yarder right now pretty solidly through the uprights. I did a, a couple days ago when we had a, a day zero. Before the day one, two, three, we had a, a voluntary workout, and I came out and made sure Leg's uh, – I, I was still warm and ready. But, yeah, in high school is when I, I punted, kicked, place kicked, field goals. So if something was to happen to Mark Leggio during a game and this guy wearing number two lines up behind long snapper Mike Benson, don't be alarmed. Apparently, punting and place kicking will also be in the sure hands of Greg Ellingson. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all that they should. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the day. You may not share our intellect. 